When my beautiful hound dog passed away, I put off the walk around the capital as long as I could. Finally, I knew I had to do it, and that our friend would be concerned not seeing us on our daily walk. I walked to the capital, this time alone, of course, like a small memorial procession of sorts. And rounding the west front of the grounds, I spotted our friend, the U.S. Capitol police officer, who always carried dog treats in his pocket for us. I didn't have to say anything as he approached and gave me a big, understanding hug. I thanked him for all those special treats and pets over the years, and then slowly headed back up the hill, around the Capitol, and home. This is a remembrance of mine, of course, and I'm sure there are many, many stories out there from others, and together they make a place sacred. And I hope our capital can continue to be part of our lives and our stories. Rosemary Freeman's story about her walk around the Capitol dives to the heart of why Nathaniel and I are so excited to bring you this special episode of My Life's Work podcast, a compilation of your stories about an unfenced Capitol. The U.S. Capitol grounds have been intentionally unfenced and open to the public since its first cornerstone was placed by George Washington in 1793. Residents and visitors alike have used this space for centuries, whether learning to ride a bike, stopping for a drink of water in the summer house, listening to concerts on the lawn, or witnessing the peaceful transfer of power at inaugurations. It is indeed our stories that make this place sacred. When visiting from Australia, Mark Harrison noted a similar purpose in the Capitol building itself. I guess my takeaway was um, that the Capitol was more than just um, a building, more than just architecture with things in it. It was a place where people were telling stories about America. Um, And that's kind of what I saw as the point of much of what I was seeing. All of the things of the statuary and the art and so on. Uh, are all there for people to talk about being American and for people to tell the story of America. My name is Sarah. And I'm Nathaniel. Today with this episode, Stories of an Unfenced Capital, we're adding your personal stories to the dialogue. Rather than focusing on the impact that a fence would have on our community and the country, we want to celebrate the importance that the Capitol grounds have had in our lives. To put this discussion in context, let's start with a brief description of the events of the past few months. In response to the violent mob that breached the Capitol on January 6th, and in an effort to have a peaceful inauguration, an imposing razor wire topped fence running roughly four miles long was erected around the Capitol, its grounds, all Senate and House office buildings, the Supreme Court, the Library of Congress, and the Botanic Gardens. There were soon calls by the Capitol Police to make a fence permanent. Laurie Grisham described the scale of these fences. I think that to someone who doesn't live here, the idea of a fence around the Capitol building is probably fairly abstract. Um, But someone who lives here or someone who's familiar with D.C. and has looked at at the maps or has been there to see where it it stretches, um, it's massive. As Rosemary expressed, these spaces are part of the fabric of the daily lives of D.C. residents. So it was no surprise that neighbors spoke up not because of the inconvenience and loss of green space, though that is very true, but because we see every day the symbolic importance of an open capital grounds to our democracy. 
Jill Ryerson touched on this juxtaposition of valuing the space for its everyday nature while also seeing the power of the seat of government. While we thought of it as just an extension of our neighborhood and um, a place where we would play, you know, I think it always had this feeling that it was something more special than just a park. I think you always knew that there was something important happening in that big building and um, but you could feel the strength and the power of that building, um, yeah, while you were in the shadows of it. For Meredith Ferris, this juxtaposition, the ability for her young son to scooter on the cobblestones where our representatives walk, is what makes it so special. Growing up in Tennessee, I always thought what a privilege it is to live so close to it and be able to look at it all the time and be present with it. It's a really special and magical place. And I especially thought it's fabulous that my child would grow up thinking, you know, that that's just like another place that, you know, he has access to, um, like everyone has access to, but like it's the norm, you know, as if riding your scooter in front of the Supreme Court is something that everyone gets to do. And they should. A petition to protest permanent fencing was started by Allison Cunningham, and it now has more than 32,000 signatures. Hill resident Bill Press told us why he added his name to this petition. The Capitol is the center of our democracy. It's the people's house. It belongs to all of us. For over 200 years, this is where all Americans, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, have been welcomed to see their government at work, to talk to their representatives, to enjoy the beautiful Capitol grounds designed by Frederick Law Olmsted. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, D.C. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, and Ward 6 Councilmember Charles Allen, along with support from all other council members, are taking necessary political action to prevent a permanent fence from being built. Perhaps it's no surprise that in the midst of the COVID pandemic, the open space has become even more integral to our daily lives. Many of us have flocked to the Capitol grounds over the past year to seek comfort in its greenery and ability to social distance from friends. Elena Stanchu, a 16-year-old Capitol neighbor, explained how the Capitol has grown even more important to her during COVID-19. One of the main ways people are coping is by going outside and going for walks or getting exercise and just to get out the house a bit. And obviously it's safer because COVID is less transmissible out in the open air. The Capitol grounds have become a haven of sorts for parents with young children. Lori told us about the first time she stepped off the stone sidewalk and onto the lush grass. It was one of the few places that I could go with my two-year-old son to to touch grass and to run around and to um, to feel like we could safely social distance from other people. So it became sort of just a part of our daily lives that we would walk over there and um, walk around in the grass. I remember like going in and putting down a blanket and uh, my two-year-old son and I just eating oranges um, on a picnic blanket you know, looking at the Capitol building uh, ahead of us, the Supreme Court to one side and the Library of Congress to the other, and thinking that it was a really scary time to be a parent, but how lucky we were to live on Capitol Hill and have this amazing access to this space. 
It's these simple memories, these commonplace occurrences, that feel so poignant to remember now. Elaine Qualter shared a story about her own pandemic gathering on the Capitol grounds this past winter. On Christmas Eve for the past few years, we've gathered with another family for dinner to celebrate. This year, because of COVID, that wasn't an option. Instead, we met up for an evening walk down the sidewalk of our neighborhood on Capitol Hill. We found ourselves being drawn to the Capitol building, glowing against the dark sky. Since none of us had yet seen the Capitol Christmas tree yet, we decided to walk around to the front lawn where we saw the magnificent tree cheerfully lit. There was a small crowd gathered there, and some carolers who filled the air with music, both sacred and secular. Our kids, happy to be unleashed on some open green space, ran around on the grass, squealing and calling out to each other. Someone produced a Nerf football, and that was tossed around as the moms chatted through face masks, occasionally calling out to the kids to be careful not to run into other people. The mood was festive, even joyful, despite the cold. Here we were, able to safely gather during a pandemic to celebrate our religious traditions on the grounds of an iconic government building. Elaine is not alone in celebrating the Capitol grounds as a place to play. In fact, many stories centered around the new meaning that children often bring to the space. Hill resident Caribbean Stute described how her perception of the space changed with the arrival of her children. I think the Capitol grounds really took on new meaning for me when I began taking our son there on walks. When he was a baby, we'd find a shady spot under a tree and spread out on a blanket with some toys. The lawn was a perfect spot for him to practice walking and then running, and the surrounding walkways provided endless surfaces to maneuver his toy truck. He was especially fascinated with the pair of full-size ambulances parked outside. Maybe even more exciting than the ambulance for some are the enormous trees that line the walkways of the grounds. Here's Gil Gallagher. There's this like big, it's a big tree over on the the south side. Um, And it was the first tree where I was like, as my kid was so fascinated by its size and its age. And it's had this like big kind of low hanging branch and, um, so I just I just have this recollection of of my son being really drawn to this tree. Children view the world at a slower pace, unrushed, forever curious, and closer to the ground. As all of us who have walked the Capitol grounds in the early fall can attest, and as Tara Kelly remembers, it is at that time that looking down brings a surprising reward. That big, beautiful Osage orange tree that's halfway up the south side hill, um, Every year when its fruit falls down on the sidewalk and it gets really messy and they look so foreign and awesome. And, um, yeah. Jill Ryerson describes her memories as a young child walking the grounds of the Capitol. Quick note to listeners, Jill was my mom's next-door neighbor growing up on Capitol Hill and refers to her and my great-grandfather in her story. I have so many memories of being there as a kid, and I think in some ways we were there a lot because it felt like the closest park, and it had the unique property that it was really the only significant hill. So my earliest memories are of your your great-grandfather um, taking me and your mom on walks on that, um, just that beautiful lawn with all the trees, and he was really engaging us in what today we call kids' nature play, but before it really had a name. 
I remember us being fascinated by the seed pods that would drop from those trees, maybe black walnuts or the buckthorn trees. And my favorite spot of all was that, um, I think they call it the summer house on the west side of the capital. And in the hot summer, that was just this incredible oasis. And your, your great-grandfather probably just needed a place to sit and rest. But your mom and I thought that was just the most magical of places. And it always was when I grew up. And it was always a place I wanted to go back to, was that cool, cave-like feeling of that summer house. The hill is the other part of the Capitol grounds that I feel like was so meaningful for me. It's where we learn to ride our bike and get the courage to go fast down a hill. Um, it's where we learn to, um, to run as we got in um, the high school years and we were training for sports. And that hill was where you learn to kind of dig deep and get up a tough hill. And that feeling of coming to the top of the hill and there'd be the Capitol guards there, um, always with a smile or a wave, respectfully. Um, kind of giving you a little courage as you got to the top and that feeling of coming out into that wide open expanse of the parking lot on the east side of the Capitol. Um, just was such a great feeling. That hill. So many of us have memories, like Jill, of running or biking up that steep incline, or trying to at least. Maeve Kelly Mavretic remembered one of the first times she made it up that hill. I remember being five or six and having this diamondback bike and, um, working up to biking up the hill in one in one go without putting my feet down and that was a big accomplishment when I could do it um so I remember facing the hill was a really big deal for a couple for a couple years there for some of us going up and down the hill is not purely a fun challenge but also our commute to school or work as it is for Jonas Howard before the COVID-19 pandemic I used to bike by the Capitol every day on my way to school I would go by the northern side of the Capitol, the side next to the Senate, uh, pass along the sidewalk there, and descend down Capitol Hill. It's probably the highlight of my commute to school, and uh, the most fun part, seeing that it was downhill all the way and relatively easy to descend, but of course, the uh, converse being I had to trudge up the hill um, at the end of a, a long day of school. And it's not just our wheeled bikes that tried that hill, as Michael Mavretic recalled. I was thinking about how many different wheeled devices we've taken and run around the capital from a one-wheeled push toy called a go wheelie to two-wheeled bikes, three-wheeled big wheels, three-wheeled scooters, three-wheeled trailer bikes, four-wheeled skateboards, six-wheeled rollerblades, and on. As Jill reminded us in her story, the hill is also the perfect training ground for running, and is actually the practice location for some DC students, including Taylor Keen. We used the pretty big hill there for endurance workouts, and I have lots of memories of the whole team just running up and down, up and down the hill, but just knowing that it was at the Capitol made it more bearable. Um, I've also been able to tell my friends that live in Virginia and Minnesota about where I have to, or I, I view it as have to practice since we have no track, but they view it as where I get to practice because I have no track. Um, they think it's the coolest thing in the world that I get to run past the Capitol pretty much every time I do a track workout. Maeve Kelly Mavredic considers the Capitol Hill an important marker on her runs too. 
is always the center point of my runs, my shorter sprints, and then it was always the home stretch of my longer runs down to the National Mall. So it's just a familiar, reassuring site, a great, well, obviously national landmark, but like local landmark too. On one of her runs, Maeve described one of the joys of living so close to where a representative's work, the chance encounter. This summer, I was finishing up a two or three mile run with the final push um, down the north side of the Capitol Hill, and then I would go back up the south. And um, upon crossing the plaza, I saw a shorter, hunched over, old white man with a little tuft of hair surrounded by a bunch of young looking aides and maybe Secret Service people. And I looked over and and it was Bernie Sanders. And I was like, hey, Bernie. He's like, hey. And I kept on running. It was, it was funny. It was funny to see the guy. He was like, it was like a neighbor. He was right there doing his job. And I was right there doing my run. And we both went on with our days. We all love telling these stories of who we ran into in the street. And they mean more than just the fun bragging rights they offer. They represent the democratic ideal that our leaders are accessible. Katrina Tracy recounted the importance of her interaction with one of our national heroes. I remember in about 7th grade or 8th grade having the honor to meet Senator John Lewis on the steps of the Capitol. We had sung Imagine and Hallelujah for him. And now I will always remember the Capitol steps as the place where I met one of the great civil rights leaders. Matali's story centered around seeing a very different kind of hero on the Capitol grounds. In 2015, when I was in fifth grade, Pope Francis visited D.C. and I was a part of the crowd gathered at the Capitol to hear his speech. Then, the following year, when the blizzard came to D.C., my brother and I trudged through the snow to go sledding at the Capitol. As a young child, I remember attending many evening concerts on the West Lawn. My family and I would bring a picnic mat and dinner and enjoy the grandeur of the building while listening to the music. I would run around and roll on the grass. I also especially liked going inside the summer house because of the pretty metal work and the fountains. I recall going inside the Capitol and the visitor center where one can see the rotunda and look at the beautiful paintings and sculptures. In the evenings, the sunset created the perfect place for taking photos. During the pandemic, I was able to ride my bike and play frisbee on the lawns with my family. It was always fun speeding down the hill on bikes but a struggle to ride back up. I loved the way people could walk straight down East Capitol and walk right up to the building, and on the other side, visitors could walk up a few steps and look down at the mall all the way to the Lincoln Memorial in the distance. Other than all of the time spent running, playing, and picnicking on the grounds, the Capitol is also the center of many iconic DC celebrations, most famously perhaps the 4th of July concert. David and Stephanie Deutsch shared their memories of this event. For several years, from let's say the mid-1980s to the early 1990s, I directed for PBS the 4th of July concerts that took place on the West Lawn of the Capitol. Uh, Also uh, the Memorial Day concerts as well. And I can't remember very much who the performers were now and, and who the big stars were, but I'll tell you this, what I will always remember are the sea of people, families, children, military people, uh, neighborhood, people of all ages gathered on that west lawn of the Capitol, hanging on the first balcony level of the Capitol. 
it was just an amazing number of people. And as a television director, I never lacked for a crowd shot or a reaction shot. It was like a feast. Little children holding flags, jumping up and down to John Philip Sousa. Just amazing. And um, it was just quite a spectacle. And always the backdrop of the Capitol. Always that Capitol dome uh, as the frame and the background. I have fond memories of those concerts too. I would usually go for the rehearsal. The day before, the rehearsal was open to the public and I would go, our children were young then, and I would set up a blanket and bring a picnic and for several hours, my boys would run around exploring under those big trees, beautiful big trees at the base of the Capitol um, and uh, run up and down the stairs to the upper terrace. And Anna and I would take little walks and um, we'd check into the truck and, and say hi to you and all the cameramen and, and people working there. Um, but it was just such a treat to be in that beautiful space uh, in such a relaxed, happy way. Uh, I have very fond memories of that. And only once did my sons um, put a baseball through the window of, of uh, a car that was parked there. Turned out to be one of the um, members of the crew from WETA, so it was awkward, but we got through it. For Nathaniel and me, the capital is where we grew up. It's where I learned to ride my bike, picnicked with my family, listened to concerts on the west side of the Capitol, and mourned with others the passing of Congressman John Lewis and Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But it's also the backdrop of our friendship. My Life's Work podcast came to life on our nightly walks around the Capitol last summer. We would walk down East Capitol from my house, brainstorming names, for a living, <laughs> or paths, typically get distracted as we walk down the south side of the hill, dodging the bright green Osage oranges that stood out against the dark. Cutting across the middle of the hill on the west side, we would pause as we looked out over the sun setting behind the Washington Monument, spreading a array of reds and pinks and blues across the night sky. We were in the middle of a raging pandemic, at a crossroads of our democracy. For me, a terrifying recovery from my stroke. These walks on the Capitol grounds allowed us to slow down, check in with one another, and to look towards our futures. So given how much the Capitol means to us, both personally and as a team, we wanted to take the time to dedicate a podcast to these same grounds and the loss that comes with fencing it. Thank you so much to everyone who told us about their experiences at the Capitol. Bill Press, Cor and Jen Berkman, David and Carrie Stute, David and Stephanie Deutsch, Elaine Qualter, Elena Stanchu, Gil Gallagher, Jill Ryerson, Jonas Howard, Katrina Tracy, Lori Grisham, Maeve Kelly Mavretic, Mark Harrison, Matthew Primisler, Meredith Ferris, Michael Barcher, Michael Mavretic, Mitali Mirchandani, Rosemary Freeman, Tara Kelly, and Taylor Keene. Pictures and the full uncut stories are featured on our website, mylifesworkpodcast.org. Many stories ended with your thoughts about the fencing and what it would mean to us as a community and as a country. Cora, Taylor, Meredith, David, and Jill's voices conclude our special episode. I think that walls really symbolize division. 
As Americans, we pride ourselves in a fairly transparent government. The closing the Capitol grounds is the first step, but how do we know where this will stop? Fencing in the Capitol would send the wrong kind of signal to our city, nation, and to the world. There's got to be a smarter, measured way to ensure the safety of the Capitol complex. When I think about a permanent fence around the U.S. Capitol grounds, it just feels like the experience of the U.S. Capitol could never be the same without the addition of its grounds.